Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. God has given us many principles that impact our everyday lives, especially in our homes. Listen as Pastor Chad Gilligan teaches us about how we can apply these principles in this series called Family Matters. You know, if you ask people where their stress comes from, the majority of of people that were polled in this area with different areas, 40% was the highest number. People said most of their stress comes from the workplace. Anybody else relate to that? that that's the source of stress. And for many of us, we have that for many different reasons, whether it's unrealistic expectations, maybe we work in an unhealthy work environment, maybe we just don't like our job, or we work with coworkers who are irritating, but the workplace is a a part of our lives that impacts us really on a daily basis and has the ability to affect so many other ways that we see life, and the good news is that Scripture speaks to us about it. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. Ephesians chapter 6. We've been in a series of messages that we're calling Family Matters. We've talked about marriage. We've talked about parenting and our families. Today we're going to wrap up this series by taking a look at what Scripture has to say about our workplace, where we work, and, and how we serve God in that place and deal with the stress that we find there. Now what's interesting, throughout the New Testament, Paul speaks to this idea of how and where we work and how we live out our faith in that place based on the context of the time. And so when you read what we'll see today in Ephesians, he speaks this way in Colossians and 1 Timothy. Peter speaks this way in his first letter. He uses language that fits the context of that day. And he talks about slaves and masters. Now, some of you may feel like you work in that environment where you have a master and you're their slave. But we don't necessarily have slavery in our day. But the principles that he's talking about here are principles that apply to the workplace. What he's speaking of, those of you, where you work, who you work for, and how you lead in the workplace is where these principles find their home and how they influence our lives. And the bottom line principle that he hits for us today is one that I do not want you to forget. So let's read the text, Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 5. Wherever you see slaves, you could probably insert the word employees. Where you see masters, you could use the word employers. And listen to what he says. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. And when you read through this passage, you see him reference over and over again this context that how you serve, how you live, how you obey, you are to treat your co-workers or your employer in the same way that you would treat Christ. And here's the foundational point that he wants us to see, that your work is worship. If there's anything that I hope you'll grab today, that you'll understand this concept, that your work is worship. How you perform your job, how you live out the vocation that you have is actually a part of your worship 
to God. So what I want to give to you today is three ways to worship through your work. Three ways to worship through your work. And we're going to look at a ton of scripture. We're going to move real, real quick through these principles. And, and it's going to be kind of rapid fire. If you're taking notes, you'll probably be jotting a lot of things down today. The, the notes are also available on the, the Bible app that uh, you can get on your smartphone or your tablet. Or you can also find them on our website later this week. But I want to talk about three ways that you worship through your work. We're, we're going to move fast. If you have ADD, you're going to love this message. Because we're just going to keep, keep jumping through these things that I hope will be practical for you. As we move through this, three ways that you can worship through your work. Here's the first one. Number one, I want to challenge you to work hard. You worship God when you work hard. Paul uses some interesting language that may seem like it doesn't apply to us in the 21st century. Listen to what he says. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Listen to what he says again in verse six. Obey them, not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. That word obey is an interesting word because to be quite honest, in our very independent 21st century lifestyle as an adult, I really don't think of obeying too many times. Kids obey. Dogs obey. I'm my own man. I do what I want to do. I don't necessarily obey. We might see that word as a little bit demeaning. But what Paul's saying here is in the task that you've been given to do, in the role that God has put you in, you do that thing and you work hard. Man, I've heard people say sometimes, I give 100% to my job. And then I saw this picture online the other day and I thought this would be helpful for us. Take a look at this. This is a, a good breakdown of how this plays out. If you're gonna do 100% of your work, uh, give yourself 100% to your job. It says, I always give 100% at work. 12% on Monday, 23% on Tuesday, 40 on Wednesday, 20 on Friday, and 5% or 5% on Friday. Have you ever had one of those weeks? You know what that adds up to? 100%. I give 100% at work. That's not what Paul's talking about. Let me give you this idea. What's he saying when he says we need to work hard? First, he's saying this. Do the work you've been hired to do. Do the work you've been hired to do. If you're getting paid to do a job, whether you like it or not, your, your calling, your responsibility before God is to do the work that you've been hired to do. I've, I've worked with people who have tried to find a way around certain obligations, or they don't like a certain part of their job, and they, they don't do it. I remember when I was, um, my first year that I was kind of in a, in a full-time church position in Milwaukee, I was a kids pastor at this church, and I was complaining about all the things I had to do to a friend, because I just, I, I wanted to just, I just wanted to preach. God called me to preach. That's what I was gonna do. I didn't wanna plan events. I didn't want to deal with problem people. They had them there. There's no problem people here, but they had them. I, I, didn't want to, I didn't want to have to counsel. I didn't want to have to do any of that kind of stuff. And I was like going on and on about how much stuff I had to do. And my buddy looked at me and he said, hmm, I wonder if that's why they call it work. Hmm, that helped me. Part of my job, part of what I'm being paid to do, maybe some things I don't want to do. But if I'm going to work hard, it means this, that I will do the work I've been hired to do. This idea of obedience, obedience in the workplace is effectiveness on the job. 
Obedience in the workplace is effectiveness on the job. If you're going to obey in the sense that Paul's talking about here, it just means this, be effective, do your job, do what's asked of you, do what's required of you. The same thing translates into our schoolwork. Maybe you're not in the workplace, but you're a student in in middle school or high school or college. Do that thing that's in front of you, whether you like to do it or not. If this is the place where God has placed you, whether you like your job or not, the idea is that I will work hard and do what I am called to do. Do what I am placed to do at this time. And sometimes we go, well, you know, I just, I don't really want to because nobody else works hard. I mean, I got this job, but it's really not making a difference. It doesn't really add anything to society. It's just a paycheck for me. So why should, I, why should I work hard? Listen, I want you to understand this. Whether you like your boss or not, whether you like your job or not, whether you think your job matters or not, where you are right now, the way in which God has chosen for you to be able to provide for yourself and your family is where he's placed you, and he's asking you to work hard in that place whether you think it's of value or not. Does that make sense? The work of the employee is not based on the worth of the employer. The work of the employee is not based on the worth of the employer. Look, God's asked you to work hard where you are because you represent him in that. Listen to this, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh, for it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. I don't know where it is that you work, but you work hard, not because you think your employer is worth it, but because you're working to please God. That, that's the principle, which then takes it to a whole nother level. Not only do you do the work you've been hired to do, but I would challenge you to work when no one is watching. Work when no one is watching not just because the boss is around. Have you, you ever worked with any of these people? Have you ever worked with the clock watcher? The person who's just constantly watching the clock. When's the break? When's lunch? When's the other break? When do I go home? The next day. When's the break? When's lunch? When's the other break? When do I go home? I worked with some of those guys when I was in college and, uh, um, and, and man, it was easy to learn their ways, right? When's the break? When's lunch? That's, that's, that's not what Paul's talking about. And then have you ever worked with this person who I would call the watching weasel? They're just kind of a weasel and they do whatever they want. They're on Facebook, but man, can they switch to an Excel spreadsheet really fast when the boss walks in the room. And then there's the wandering worker. You ever worked with this guy who has made an art form out of looking busy? Yeah, I'm walking over here. Then when I get over here, I'm really busy walking over here just kind of wanders from place to place. Hey, what's going on? I've been really busy. I got to go over here. And then when the boss comes around, they're like, oh, wow, it's been a busy day. The only thing it's been busy for is your Fitbit, right? Because you've been walking from here to there and here to there. You're not doing a thing. And what Paul says here is, look, you work even when no one is watching. Colossians chapter three, verse 22, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Understand this, if you only work when someone is watching, then you are living a lie. If you only work when someone's watching, then you're living a lie. And if you're experiencing frustration on your job, 
It might be because you're not fulfilled because you're too busy walking from place to place when you should be busy getting something done. Don't just work when someone's watching. And then let me, let me encourage you with this. Paul, Paul goes on to talk to the masters or the employers, and he talks to them about leadership. But here's what I want you to understand, that no matter who you are, you are a person of influence in that place. So if you're gonna work hard, let me challenge you to lead where you are. Lead where you are. This is a huge part of being effective on the job and working hard, that you recognize that you are a person of influence. Now, I don't know whether you are the boss or whether you feel like you're at the bottom of the corporate ladder in your job. I just know this, that God has called you to have influence in that place and to lead where you are. No matter your role, you are called to be a person of influence. No matter your role, you are called to be a person of influence. God has put you in that place. Now, the truth is, jobs aren't easy because they involve people, right? And wherever there's people, there's the possibility for conflict and confrontation. They asked more than 2,600 hiring managers in a survey conducted by CareerBuilder to cite examples of the oddest complaints they received from employees. So these are employees writing complaints about either their boss or another employee. Here's one. One employee said that an employee they worked with is too, sun, uh, too suntanned. <laughs> that another employee has big hair. That another employee eats all the good cookies. This was my favorite. That they work with someone who's so polite that it's infuriating. <laughs> these, these are the ones from the people who are a little bit um, just kind of suspicious that an employee is trying to poison me or this one I love, the guy that sits next to me is magnetic and he keeps deactivating my magnetic access card by, by his presence. There's an employee whose aura is wrong, who breathes too loudly. There's one employee who wants to have their coworkers checked for ticks, which I think is a really interesting idea. And then you know this one? The one that says 8 a.m. is just too early to get up for work. There's always complaints. Look, on the job, you are a leader. You have to choose, will I be a thermometer or a thermostat? Am I just gonna read the temperature or am I gonna set the temperature? Am I a thermometer or am I a thermostat? You will make the difference. You have the opportunity to influence. So let me challenge you, in that workplace, influence for unity. Be someone who influences for unity, that you have the opportunity to, by what you say, by who you are, bring unity to that situation. Here's, here's something you need to understand. When you have people and there's work, then there's movement. And where there's movement, there's friction, and friction produces heat. So if you have movement that's going on in the workplace, there will be friction, and friction produces heat, which means this, there are going to be times when the situation is hot. There's going to be times when there's tension. There's gonna be times when there's disagreement. How are you going to respond to those things? The leadership expert John Maxwell talks about the fact that everybody walks around with two buckets. And when you see a fire of some kind, you have to decide what you're gonna do. One bucket has water in it, the other has gasoline in it. Which bucket are you gonna pour on that fire? When you see conflict in the workplace, when you see tension or disagreement, are you water or are you gasoline? Here's the deal. You need to understand there will be these times that come to you in the workplace. You have to understand, how am I going to respond to them? 
Disagreement is dynamic, but dissension is destructive. Disagreement is necessary in the workplace. If you're gonna move forward, if there's healthy change, if there is um, progress, there will be times when people disagree. And that is a dynamic part of leadership. It brings life, but when there's dissension, when there's gossip, when there's an irritable stirring of situations, that's destructive. Do you know the difference? It's in people's hearts. Tension is typical, but turmoil is toxic. There's a difference between the two. Tension is typical. You're gonna have that in the workplace. But turmoil, when somebody comes in and just keeps stirring something up, that keeps kind of reopening wounds that are there, that keeps pushing other people's buttons, that becomes toxic in the workplace. You have the opportunity to be an influence for unity. You can influence for unity. You can also influence for effectiveness. Let's talk about that for a moment. You can be an influence for effectiveness that you can help others to do their job. Look, especially if you're in a position of leadership, give people what they need to succeed. Give people what they need to succeed. Help them to have the tools and the resources so that they can be effective in what they're called to do. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. And then do this, be humble enough to hear what others have to say. If you're gonna lead for effectiveness, if you're gonna influence for effectiveness, be humble enough to hear what others have to say. I know this is enough from tense situations that I've been in or work situations that I've been asked to help give some clarity to. So many times when people have a disagreement or there's tension, they're actually both saying the same things. They just haven't listened long enough to hear that they're both saying the same things. They won't humble themselves long enough. They won't be open enough to hear what the other person has to say and realize they both want the same thing. Does that make sense? So you have influence for effectiveness. And you also in your workplace have influence for integrity. You have influence for integrity. Now I don't, I don't know the dynamic of the place where, where you work. It might be a wonderful place to work. It might be a horrible place to work. In fact, some of you may work in a place where it's actually the norm for you to be asked to do things that, that might feel like they go against your own ethical standards. You might work for a place that preaches integrity but doesn't practice integrity. What do you do when you're in that place? At some point, we come back to this, work is worship, right? So how I live out my faith in that place makes a difference. So a couple of questions that are good to ask yourself. I would challenge you with this. Are my actions at work in alignment with my perception at church? Are my actions at work in alignment with my perception at church? Here's what I mean. The way that people view you when you walk in for the 10 o'clock service at Calvary, is that the same way that they perceive you when you go to work on Monday? You come into church on Sunday all happy and holy. You get to work on Monday and you're all cussing and spitting. This doesn't line up. You're not the same person. The question is, do those things line up? Are you living that out? And then I think this is really important to consider. Do my coworkers see what my conscience believes? Do my coworkers see what my conscience believes? I might say, this is what I believe. This is who I am. But is that actually what other people see? 
because we'll see this in just a moment, but it doesn't matter how much you talk about your faith, especially in the workplace, what has an impact on others is if you live it out or not. Isn't that true? Listen to what, what Peter says. First Peter chapter three, verse 15. He says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Look, you have the opportunity through who you are and how you live to not only be an influence for integrity, but really to be an influence towards others for Christ. So what do you do? First way that you worship at work, it's simple. Work hard. Do your job. Here's the second thing. That's the work side of it. Let's talk about the relationship side of it. The second thing is that you respect others. Number two, respect others is a second way that we can worship through our work. Paul talks about this quite a bit. And in fact, let's look at what he says. Ephesians chapter six, verse five. He says, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. And most likely in your workplace, I would suppose for most of us, we, we have interaction with people on different levels. There's probably someone who, you know, for lack of a better term, is above us someone who has authority or leadership over us. And so there's a way that we show respect to them. There's also probably some people who may be, and and this sounds kind of a weird way to say it, but I'm not so sure how how else to say it. They're they're kind of below you on the the corporate ladder, kind of on the, the food chain at your job. They're subordinate to where you might be. You might give them leadership or they might be in a different status than when you are. And then you have your coworkers, right? You have your peers. So in some way or another, there are probably people in every direction that you interact with, and you have to ask the question, how do I show respect to them? One way is this. I would challenge you to give respect to your leaders. Let's talk about that for a few moments, because Paul very clearly does. What's he say? He says, give respect. He says, you are to uh, fear them. He says, you are to approach them with sincerity of heart. What is he talking about when he says we should give respect to our leaders? I think one of the big things is that we honor authority, that if there's authority in our lives, that we honor that authority. I mean, we saw that last week when we talked about parenting and we, we talked about how King David, before he was king, even though King Saul was mistreating him, he honored him. There was a blessing that came to him. If you recognize that God has put someone in authority over you, then at some point you choose to honor that authority. One of the key ways that you can do that is to show humility, not just honor authority, but show humility. Paul says in this verse that we are to fear those who are our leaders. He does not mean that when they walk in the room that you get under your desk in the fetal position because you're scared. Although some of you have probably worked for that person, right? What he means is this, that you recognize their role and that you're willing to humble yourself. That you recognize that whether you think it's fitting or not, God has allowed that person to be in a role of authority over you, and so you humble yourself. Why is that a key thing? James chapter four, verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Look, ultimately, it's not your boss who gives you that promotion. It's God, isn't it? So humble yourself. And then do this. Live with sincerity. Live with sincerity. You ever worked with this person? Boss walks in the room, and she's like, oh, boss, you're so great, you're so awesome, I love you, thanks for this, thanks for that. And then the boss walks out of the room, and she goes, I hate that guy. (laughs) Man, you're saying two different things. 
That's not sincerity of heart. The reality is, if you represent one thing to your boss and say another to a coworker, you are a hypocrite at work. If you represent one thing to your boss and say another to your coworker, you are a hypocrite at work. Don't we love being called a hypocrite? We think about it at church, but it really applies on the job. Well, that's, that's good, Chad. You don't know my boss. My boss is evil. My boss works for the devil. And that may seem kind of funny, but for some of you, it's probably true. Not if you work here, but for some of you, it's probably true. But you say, hey, I work for somebody that has not surrendered their life and their heart to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. In fact, their headquarters is in hell. And I know that they are an evil person. What do I do in that situation? How do I respond? Understand this. Your work is not for that person. We'll see this in a minute. Your work is worship, right? So when you work, ultimately, you're working to please God. This is why Paul writes this. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Did you hear that? Consider your masters worthy of full respect because it's gonna affect what people think about Christ. Those who have believing masters should not show them disrespect just because they are fellow believers. Instead, they should serve them even better because their masters are dear to them as fellow believers and are devoted to the welfare of their slaves. So watch this. If you work for a believer, you should work even harder because they're a brother or sister in Christ. If you work for someone who's not a believer, and remember, he's writing in the first century So he's saying, look, if you work for someone who's not a follower of Christ, most likely they were worshiping false idols. They probably had all kinds of sin in their life. They might have been a harsh, evil person. He says, you work for them and you give them great respect. Why? Because the way you work for them is the way that other people will see the name and the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Understand this. The reality of your relationship with Jesus is proven by your relationship with your leaders. If you want people to see Christ at work in your life, it will be glaringly obvious in the way that you treat those in authority to you. The reality of your relationship with Jesus is proven by your relationship with your leaders. If you can't respect your leader, how are other people supposed to see that you truly respect Christ? That becomes even more interesting in an election year, doesn't it? but we could park there for a little while. But I'm not gonna take the time because this message would trump that one. I, honestly, I shouldn't have said that, but I was feeling the burn inside and I was like, I need to just, I need to just. Okay, so you give respect to your leaders. All right, you give respect to your leaders. But let's take that not just this way, let's go this way for a moment, that you give respect to your coworkers as well. You give respect to your coworkers, those people that you work with. Now understand this, one of the major irritations in the workplace are the people you work with, isn't it? Amen, thank you brother, okay. See there's this interaction that we have with other people that can be frustrating because either they're annoying or they're irritating to you, you just don't get along, maybe it feels like they're out to get you, or this is the one I hear so many times, my coworkers don't carry their own weight. 
They don't do the work the same way I do, and then it sticks me with difficult situations as a result. What do you do if you work with a coworker? How do you give respect to that person? Let me give to you just, just I think these are some cool principles from Scripture that if you're in that place, let's rapid fire think about them real quick. I wanna to talk to you about the power of patience for a moment. If you work with someone who is difficult to work with, do not forget the power of patience. Now, I'm not saying you let yourself get walked on. I'm not saying you don't follow protocol and policies, but understand this. Sometimes when you have an irritating coworker, the best thing you can do is show them respect and show a little patience. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 16. Fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook an insult. A fool shows their annoyance at once. The prudent overlook an insult. Here's why, Proverbs 19, 11. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. It is to your glory if you overlook an offense. Here's why. There is incredible power in giving situations some time sometimes. It's what I would call the fate of a fool. (laughs) If you work with someone and you're like, that person is a fool. You go to school with somebody that you're like, that person is just, I I just can't, can't take it. I can't understand why they're in that role or in that position or they're getting this or they're getting that. Understand this scriptural principle. There is a fate that comes to a fool. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 verse three. Even as fools walk along the road, they lack sense and show everyone how stupid they are. Isn't that an encouraging scripture? <laughs> but get this, you're working with somebody and you just go, that, that person, I just don't get it or I just don't understand them or I just this or that. Before you show your annoyance, realize this, there is an incredible benefit sometimes to letting time play itself out. And understand, you just let them walk in that way and at some point, it'll be revealed just how stupid they are. You gotta trust God to do that. And the very next verse gives us a lot of help in what I would call the cure of calmness. The cure of calmness. Because there comes these times in the workplace where it's easy for you to go, I just can't take it anymore. You reach that boiling point. A guy came up to me after the first service and said, man, thanks for preaching that because just this last week I was blah, 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 blah. I got nervous just standing there talking to him, right? Listen to what this says. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse four. If a ruler's anger rises against you, do not leave your post. Calmness can lay great offenses to rest. If there's something that comes up, whether your boss is angry with you, whether it's a situation with a coworker, sometimes we want to, here's the language Solomon uses here, leave our post. We wanna fly off the handle. We wanna go and take care of it. He says there's times when you just need to sit back because calmness can lay great offenses to rest. Instead, believe in the favor of faithfulness. The favor of faithfulness. You stay faithful and believe that God will bring you favor. You stay in that place where he's called you to, that job you're not crazy about. You you believe in the favor of faithfulness, and in that place, God will reward you. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 32. A servant who deals wisely has the king's favor, but his wrath falls on one who acts shamefully. You want the king's favor? Then serve with wisdom. Serve with faithfulness. 
Let him lead you. I mean, there's a lot more that we could say about this whole idea of respect, what we haven't even gotten to, and, and for the sake of time, I'm just gonna, some of this is in your notes, but, but this idea of respecting those that we may lead is huge. How do you respect those that you lead? Paul says you don't need to threaten them, but that you should equip them, give them what they need to do their work. And let me challenge you with this, that we honor everyone that we work with. In one way or another that you find a way to honor them. One, because that just creates a healthy work environment. But two, it represents Jesus. Paul says in Ephesians 6 verse 9, he says, look, as you lead those that you, that you have authority over or that you are employing or those that you even work with, he says, do it without favoritism. Favoritism is an interesting word here because here's what the Greek connotation of that word is. It means this, that you, that you, favoritism means that you lift the head to see the person before you decide how you're going to respond to them. So instead of treating everyone with the same heart of love from Christ or with the same fairness and equality, you look at someone first to decide whether they're worth your time or not. Do you know what I mean? That's favoritism. So somebody walks up to you and you lift your head to check them out before you decide if you're gonna check into them or check out on them. Whether you're gonna treat them with kindness or whether you're gonna be rude. That's favoritism. And Paul says, look, there's no place for that, especially if you're a leader. You recognize everyone's value in Christ and that's how you treat people. You honor everyone. That's the biblical principle, which leads to what I would say would be the, the third way that we can turn our work into worship. The third thing that I would encourage you with today, number three, that you remember your biblical job description. That you remember your biblical job description. Look, for most of you, when you took a, a job, they, they gave you a job description. They said, look, this is what we expect for you to do. This is what your task is. This is how you will be um, rewarded and this is how you will be evaluated based on this job description. And the reality is, especially according to what Paul says to us here in Ephesians chapter six, sometimes we forget what our biblical job description is. We get so wrapped up in our paychecks, we get wrapped up in the people that we work for that we forget what our work is really all about. You do not work for a person or a paycheck. Ultimately, you work for God. You do not work for a person or a paycheck. Ultimately, you work for God. This is, this is huge. Ephesians chapter six, verse seven. Paul says, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. <laughs> See, actually, your work is not how you serve others, whether you like your job or not, whether you're busy in your job or not, whether you like this class you're taking in school or not, whether you appreciate the season of life that you're in or not, where you are, where God has you, you're serving him, not that boss, not that teacher, not that person. Ultimately, you're serving him. It's not, it's not the people, it's not the paycheck. Ultimately, your work is about how you honor and serve God. And this, this is huge if you'll stop and consider it. Because what Paul is concerned about here, even as he's talking to slaves, what he's concerned about here is not their human rights. Now he says in 1 Corinthians chapter seven, he says, look slaves, if you can get your freedom, get it. There's nowhere in scripture where you can make a, a, a case that slavery is justified. People have tried that, it doesn't work, but here's the reality. Paul says, no matter where you are, I'm not so concerned about your human rights, I'm concerned about whether you're serving God or not. It's not a paycheck, it's not the people, it's God. So understand just a few quick things. One is this that's so key. Your work is not just your job, it's your ministry. It's your ministry. 
your work is not just your job. For some of us, ah, it's just a job. No, it's not, it's your ministry. God's put you in that place. And sometimes we're quick to say, well, the ministry is for those who work at the church, but all of us are called to be ministers. Isn't that true? And if that's true, then you've been called to do ministry in the place where God has put you. Whether it feels like you, you can't, I would encourage you, tomorrow's probably not a good idea for you to stand on your desk and start reading Revelation aloud. That's probably just not a good idea. But the way that you live your life is your ministry. It's not just a job. Your compensation is not just a paycheck, it's eternal. Look, understand this, your compensation is not just a paycheck. It's eternal. God says there will be a reward that comes to us for the way that we live our lives, even in the workplace. And understand this, your ultimate employer is not just your boss, it is Jesus. Your ultimate employer is not just your boss. Honor your boss, serve your boss, work in that place. But your ultimate employer is not your boss, it's Jesus. Any of you ever had a, a performance evaluation? Maybe you have an annual review where your boss or, or, or your, you know, the owner of the company or whoever comes in and says, hey, look, it's time for us to, to talk about how you've done this last year. Maybe we'll set some goals. Maybe we'll talk about what's coming up in the year ahead. And you have that moment and they, they come in and they, they set down that manila envelope or you walk in and you sit at the table in their office or, or you have some kind of group meeting or whatever it is and you just know that, that there's something about you inside of there. It's kind of that uncomfortable moment. And they pull out the... Uh, pull up the envelope and they say, well, Chad, let's talk about your work this last year. Let's talk a little bit about how you met your goals. Let's talk a little bit about how you got along with others. Let's talk a little bit about your work ethic. I think maybe we ought to take a moment and talk about your attitude on the job. What if you, what if you had that evaluation not with your boss? But what if you had that evaluation with Jesus? What if you sat down tomorrow morning and Jesus said, boy, am I, I'm glad you're here because you and I need to talk a little bit about your performance at work. <laughs> we need to talk a little bit about how you've been working. We need to talk a little bit about how you've been honoring your, your boss or how you've been showing respect to your coworkers. Really, we need to talk for a few minutes about how you viewed your work because you've been far more concerned about a paycheck than you have about the whole reason that I have you there in the first place, which is to somehow through how you live your life, show others me. If you had to have that evaluation with Jesus, what would he say? What would he look at? How would he rate your job performance? I think an even bigger question is someday you're gonna stand before him, not just an evaluation of your nine to five, but he's gonna evaluate from birth to death and he's gonna tell you how you lived your life. And I know that when he pulls that sheet out and he takes a look at mine, I know exactly what I want to hear him say. I want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And that's going to be in how I, how I treat my spouse. It's going to be in how I raise my kids. It's going to be how I serve them in the church. And folks, understand, you spend so much of your time on the job. That's not outside of the realm of the kingdom. That's not outside of the things that God looks at. And he wants to look at your job, what you walk into tomorrow morning, and he wants to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. So would you bow your heads with me for just a moment and uh, 
I want to pray in two kind of very specific ways in these next few moments. For some of you, you just say, Chad, my workplace is a tough place. And although these principles are true from God's word, I know that I won't be able to live them out without the Holy Spirit's help. And so today, I need to say, Holy Spirit, help me to live my job and work it for you. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? My workplace is a tough place. God, would you help me? Your boss has his eyes closed. You don't have to worry about it. If that's you, just raise your hand. <laughs> and then maybe, maybe for you, you're here and you'd say, it's not just my workplace. But I realize that my life has not been surrendered to Christ. And you sing today about a God who, who died for my sins and who offers me life through his resurrection, but I don't know that. And I realize it's not just on the job, but it's in my whole life that I can't do it on my own anymore. And what I need is forgiveness from Jesus and I need salvation through his name. And today I need to make Jesus my Lord and my savior and give not just my job, but my whole life to him. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I wanna pray with you today. Yeah, thanks, thanks. Anybody else? Yeah, thanks, thank you. I can't do it on my own anymore. Jesus, I need you in my life. Yeah, thanks. Here's what I'm gonna ask. If you raised your hand either one of those times or if you know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, would you pray this prayer with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus for sending your son to die for my sin. I ask today that you'd forgive my sins, change my life. I give it to you. I give you my home. I give you my job. I give you my life. I surrender to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. And Father, today we, we thank you for your word that speaks to the, just the most important parts of our lives. And Father, we pray that you would help us on the job, in the workplace, to live out our faith in a way that we can know one day we'll hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. Send us out with your special favor and your wonderful peace. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.